0: You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership
1: advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Hey, listeners, welcome back to the Lead to Soar podcast. It's Michelle here flying solo today. Well, I'm not flying solo, I'm just not here with my normal co host, Mel Butcher. But I am here with a terrific woman called Catherine Elliott. And Catherine and I have met through another organisation that we're involved in called Chief MetaChicks. And if you want to know more about Chief MetaChicks, I'm going to put some links into the show notes. But it's it's a pretty awesome organisation that's uh, really been set up to make sure that women can start up and scale up their businesses effectively. In other words, it's women supporting women, which of course, most of you will know that's what I'm all about. So Kat's here today to talk to us about, of course, leadership and about workplaces and about alcohol. Now, listeners, stay with me here because I know that you might be thinking, hang on a minute, what is a podcast about alcohol or drinking culture got to do with what we normally talk about in Lead to Soar? Well, as it turns out, quite a lot. And that's what we're going to explore today around drinking culture, alcohol in the workplace. And as leaders, what we should be paying attention to, according to Kath. Welcome, Kath. It's great to have you here.
0: It's so great to be here, Michelle. Thank you very much. And I'm yeah really looking forward to our conversation.
1: So when you bump into someone somewhere and they go to introduce you to another person, how do they introduce you, Kath? In other words, introduce yourself to our wonderful listeners of the Lead to Soar podcast.
0: I always find this introduction really interesting because we're so multi-layered as people aren't we so there's our professional selves our personal selves and then there's probably the self that we don't show to a lot of people so I guess I am I'm a mother of three boys I'm a daughter I'm a sister I'm a passionate AFL supporter, I love 80s music, and I am also uh, an alcohol mindset coach which is I guess my probably second major career. I'm turning 51 this year and I got into this line of work because I had what I would own up to as a you know a long-term binge drinking issue uh, that I feel had held me back in my life for many years and also wasn't really aligning me to the values of the person that I wanted to be. And so I now support other professional women and men who are reasonably high functioning, but identify as having issues with alcohol and feel that it's holding them back to live their best lives.
1: That's quite an introduction and, uh, of course, my ears pricked up when you said AFL and 80s music because I'm a tragic about both, but for full disclosure, folks, Kath and I have been working together, directly together now for some months in the role of mentor and mentee and I've been witnessing firsthand Kath's approach to alcohol mindset and also her absolute transparency, honesty and vulnerability about where her expertise has come from, which is as she just said, from her own lived experience as someone who hasn't managed their relationship with alcohol in a very healthy way, decided to do something about it. Now you're wanting to help other people do the same. And I've really appreciated that because there's nothing better for a leader to do than to stop, breathe and think and reflect on their own leadership image in that leadership mirror and I think from a leadership perspective I'm really interested in your story about your high functioning yet unhealthy relationship with alcohol what's your perspective on how it was holding you back in work and in life
0: Interestingly, I think from the outside, people would have looked at me and thought I was incredibly high functioning and I was doing really well professionally. But I think in my own mind, in in my own head and my own gauge on myself, I was constantly in a bit of a negative mind sort of loop around who I was and I'd put a bit of a ceiling on what I could achieve as well it was just sort of almost surviving a lot of the time and I think alcohol played a big role in that because I was often feeling a little bit low on energy or recovering from you know a big weekend and so the first couple of days even of a working week although yes from the outside it appeared like I was functioning and working hard I actually wasn't feeling that great and it wasn't often until maybe Wednesday that I would start to feel like I was functioning, you know, pretty well, because I did have quite strict rules around my drinking. I didn't used to really drink during the week. It was very much this sort of weekend and event binge drinking, which would maybe start on a Thursday or a Friday. And then on a Sunday, I would again go back to no alcohol. So I think, you know, one of the other things that I think I'm really passionate about talking about is that an alcohol problem doesn't have to be daily dependent drinking. An alcohol problem can look different for everyone. And for me, mine was this binge drinking. Once I started drinking at certain events or occasions, I would find it very difficult to stop. And then that has, you know, its own negative consequences. And now that I'm four years alcohol-free, I can absolutely see the comparison of How much more productive, creative, how much more balanced in life overall I feel now that I no longer have alcohol in my life and I'm not prescribing to people that they have to quit drinking. I'm not here to be the alcohol police, but all I know is that from my own experience and from the people that I work with, that when they change, reduce their drinking or take it out of their lives, they absolutely notice so many positive benefits And one of the biggest things that they talk about is their relationship to self and how they are able to be guided to make better choices in all aspects of their life, including their professional lives.
1: I also want to be absolutely genuine and real here on this this episode because I too identify as a binge drinker and just over two years ago decided that I needed to have a much healthier relationship with alcohol because I did not. And certainly during the COVID lockdowns, I had a very handy excuse to become a, an everyday drinker and very heavy drinker. So, so I'm putting that out there, folks. I'm also someone who has re-examined her relationship with alcohol. And I don't really tell people that much. So I'm feeling a little bit vulnerable at the moment. But I have absolutely re-examined my relationship with alcohol for a whole range of reasons. And I can absolutely see the benefit, particularly when it comes to dealing with anxiety, which I unfortunately suffer from and have done my entire life, and also clarity of decision-making and actually feeling much, much better about myself. But what I want to come back to here is two things. One, we've had a conversation, Kath, about Australia's drinking culture. Now, we have listeners from all over the world, so this may feel a little Australian-centric because I don't know enough about other geographies except for the US around drinking cultures so my first question is we know Australia has a drinking culture does corporate Australia have a drinking culture and is that a problem
0: well yes and yes and I think again I don't want to generalize too much because obviously there are some workplaces that wouldn't necessarily have an issue with drinking but anecdotally from the many clients that i see a lot of the issue that they face has been enabled through workplace drinking culture in that in a workplace often in sales jobs and in particular i mean there are certain industries where we see probably more drinking issues you know hospitality legal fraternity, financial services, and in a lot of these workplaces it's actually very normalised to to drink excessively, to take clients out, and I think what happens is it's expected that you will drink as part of your job, but what we sometimes forget about is that alcohol is a highly addictive drug and that the way that it affects many of us is quite different. And that some people are okay and can moderate their drinking and have one or two or have a a few too many on one night and feel okay. And for other people, it can be a very different story. And I think what we're seeing now in corporate Australia is that because of the changing nature of Australian society in general on their relationship with alcohol in that younger younger Australians, millennials are making different choices around their drinking, the rise of the sober curious movement, which is really, I guess, people who are making more educated choices around their drinking because of their health. You know, they might not drink for a month or so, they might have a drink every now and again, or they might choose to have non-alcoholic drinks with alcoholic drinks we're seeing a real change and our workplace culture here in Australia really needs to start to step back and think about how they can be more inclusive of these different drinking choices rather than what we know you know you and I in the 80s and 90s would know that most workplace functions were really just focused on going to a bar and drinking a lot or supplying an open bar or having just drinks on tap for people. And really I think we're going to need to step back and really start to look at that given that alcohol also affects our ability to make rational decisions, to emotionally regulate and we know that a lot of bad behaviour can be exacerbated through excessive alcohol use in the workplace
1: Yeah, and I think there's been arguably a national conversation about bad behaviour or a lack of respect in workplaces and, of course, we now have the respect at work legislation which, you know, was the culmination of seven terrific years' work by Kate Jenkins as the Federal Sex Discrimination Commissioner and we've seen some dreadful, dreadful examples about the outcomes of people Who are affected by alcohol and those choices that they make, or particularly in the case of sexual assault and sexual harassment, the choices that are made for those people, particularly those who don't have the ability to give consent or not for the behaviour being inflicted on them. So I think this is a really interesting way to look at what is the role of alcohol in the workplace. So for me, as someone who has had and has and, and will have, again, fiduciary responsibilities as a director and as an executive, I look at the risks associated with excess alcohol and Interestingly, your conversations have prompted me to reflect on workplaces and events that I have been a part of and organised, and all, also the risk mitigation strategies that we've had to put in place to manage the risks around alcohol. But we haven't ever gone well. Actually, I wonder if there's a different way. So, again, Kath I want to bring this back to you know workplace leaders. Is it the role of the workplace to tackle this issue directly? there will be people going oh come on Michelle fun police you know this is about people's personal choices not about the workplace
0: yeah I mean absolutely but look at what workplace and you know corporate culture has done to tackle issues such as you know mental health which was very much seen as you know something really to just keep at home and keep behind closed doors it's done an incredible job so I think there are a lot of issues that have been sort of stigmatized that we bring them into the workplace and there's an open conversation that people can start to have. And I think alcohol and its effect on mental health, but also since COVID, since lockdowns, a lot of people's drinking behaviour has really changed and a lot of people are struggling to get back to where they were before COVID. So I absolutely think that there is a role that corporate Australia can play in opening up conversations around the use of alcohol so that people feel less ashamed if they are.
1: Yeah, because there is a lot of
0: shame around this, isn't there? A lot of shame. There absolutely is. I mean, that's often the first thing a client will say to me when they even reach out to have a call is, I just feel so relieved that I can share this with someone because I have been holding on to it. And in that shame, it just spirals and continues to spiral and so I think even for someone listening to conversations in a workplace there's this feeling of I'm not alone and that feeling of I'm not alone can be so life-changing and I know for me it absolutely was because I was worried I didn't have enough of a problem to need to change my drinking because binge drinking was so normalized around me I thought well I just have to somehow work this out myself through moderating my drinking, and I'm only saying from my experience, moderation for me was harder than actually taking it out of my life. That's just one choice I made, and you know, many wins I guess now.
1: I think that link to what we're expected to do in, in workplaces and as leaders to create, as I often say, workplaces that work for all humans, and of course. I'm always going to have a conversation about diversity, equity and inclusion in these things because that is that is my life. And I think if there's a, a workplace that has a very dominant culture of a group of folks, you know, the dominant force who are saying that this is the way we do stuff around here, which, of course, that's what culture is. And that involves drinking and or every. I guess, event, you know, I know there's more things than events, but everything is grounded or based in or, you know, having an alcohol flavor through it as a person who maybe doesn't drink for a whole range of reasons. There are as many reasons about people why people don't drink as, as there are people themselves. That can create a feeling of exclusion pressure to join in or just the fact, well, actually, I'm not going to be a part of that group because I don't belong. What I'm trying to say here, Kath, is this is the role of a leader now to say, who are all of the people in my organisation and how do we create a workplace that works for every human and doesn't exclude certain people, but also helps others? Have I got that right?
0: Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more and particularly as we are seeing such a change now in Australian society's approach to to alcohol you know the rise of alcohol-free drinks as an option so making sure that you're always providing a range and a variety of alcohol-free options at at workplace offerings go on to the days where you have to search out a soft drink because there are no soft drinks on offer at at workplace events which is still a common occurrence and I think again this is something that needs to be taken into consideration and you know I love that you've brought up that you've even started to think about you know the role of alcohol in some of your businesses because again it's up to an employee to have a policy to make sure that employees know what behavior is acceptable and what isn't because what often happens is it's like oh party time and here's the open bar and there's no information or communication or reminders to employees around what is okay what isn't and making sure that you're also looking after getting people home not offering too many hours of just endless drinking capping the limit But, again, it's really about communication as well and leave feeling empowered to communicate and have these conversations because, again, this is another one of my favourite topics, having difficult conversations. A lot of people think as soon as you start to bring up drinking or alcohol that, you know, you are the fun place when really actually we're trying to make sure that everyone has fun in these situations because, as you've also mentioned, often excessive drinking can cause some really bad behaviour and problems for workplace. So again, this is actually protecting the interests of your organisation and health of your employees as well.
1: So I want to get on to what we do about this as leaders, but I've got two people I want to quote to kind of bring this why this is important. And why we've got to really examine the cultures that we're creating or sustaining, number one, the first person is my beautiful wife, Rhonda, who does not drink or rarely drinks. And she doesn't drink because she doesn't have a sense of smell or taste buds. So she can taste very little. So she doesn't see the point because she can't taste it. Mm. And yesterday we happened to go to somewhere for lunch. I had a beer with lunch. And when The wait staff turned around. She said, Oh, I'm the party pooper. I don't drink and I'll just have water. And I just said, Okay, we need to have a conversation. I want you to stop saying that because that is really reinforcing drinking culture. Yes, I'm having a beer, because like you, moderation for me is very tricky. So I had a beer, but I said, I want you to stop using that language. I want you to say, no, thank you. I don't drink. Because that's got to be okay and interestingly enough the young woman serving us she said oh we've got some really a really good range of no alcohol beers mocktails etc and they did which was great that's number one if you don't drink that's okay and let's talk about it and normalize that as much as it's normal to sink six schooners after work on a Friday and the second person I want to quote is a guy called Tim Denning now Tim is a really prolific blogger and does a lot of commentary on LinkedIn in particular, has a huge amount of followers. Now, he recently posted just a few days ago, this post, work events shouldn't require you to be away from your family or be forced to drink alcohol. And I thought, oh, there you go. This is what Kath's saying. And this is what we want to talk about. And this is a young guy, so I think he's, I don't know, I think Tim's probably in his 30s, who has been in banking and it's still in some sort of consulting gig. So right in that target zone of folks, you go, I think he'd be a drinker. He's clearly not and clearly has been put in a situation or has observed someone being put in a situation where they felt under pressure to, A, be away from their family, but B, forced to drink alcohol. So I think this is the nub of the issue, Let's take a leadership role and say, hey, if you're not a person who wants to drink, let's think of some alternative ways to have you feel included in our organisation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And, look, I think it comes back to basic respect for people's choices in life, doesn't it? And choosing to drink alcohol or not is another one of those choices and I'm now doing webinars and workshops and organisations to very much bring up these conversations that if someone says that they're not drinking alcohol, it's actually none of your business as to why, and nor is it okay really to start ribbing or ridiculing people because of that choice. If they want to share something about why they're not, then that's okay. And if you want to open up a conversation in a respectful way, again, you know, there's a lot to learn from that. But What I have, again, heard from people that I've worked with is that one of the things they are most nervous about when they're changing their drinking or having a break is how they communicate that with friends and work colleagues and the response that they will get from that. And so, again, I think it is about making sure that you're prepared, you've got your communication, as you said to your beautiful wife. You come back, you're positive. I mean, I'm now proudly alcohol-free and I, ever anyone asks me, I, I own the choice and I say, I don't drink alcohol, but I'd love a, if you've got a, a mocktail or an alcohol-free beer or whatever, that would be great. And, you yeah. know, interestingly, I was out with two old girlfriends on Saturday at a winery in, down in Red Hill and the wine guy asked me, you know, if I was drinking wine. I said, no, I don't drink alcohol. And it was great because he was really positive. He said, oh, well, we've got a great non-alcoholic list. Here you go. And so I felt really included, whereas sometimes that approach has not been the same. I've sort of got that look of, oh, we're not going to get any money out of you. So Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Again, it is this inclusivity issue of making everyone feel welcome. It doesn't matter what their drinking choice is, really. Agreed. So, Kath, At Lead to Saw, we talk about
1: leadership, and leadership is using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others. And so right now, I want to ask you a question about what leaders do from two perspectives. And this is absolutely linked to our leadership definition because it is digging deep into your own values and your own way you want to lead and really seeking out the greatness in other people, no matter where they are on the drink, not drink spectrum, because we know that that's going to help achieve really great outcomes for the individual, the team and, of course, the business. So when we're looking at this problem and opportunity because it is an opportunity as well I think there's for me there's two questions that occur how do I change things in my organization to dial down the focus on alcohol what are the strategies that I can take and the second part is what do I do if I know that there's a problem drinker or maybe a fairly stubbornly embedded drinking culture and I want to change it, but I'm not confident. So it's kind of two sides of the coin there. What's your advice for our leaders?
0: Great questions. I think to the first part of your question in terms of how can you make a workplace less of an emphasis on excessive drinking or alcohol always being involved? I think it's about getting a bit more creative about how we celebrate and come together because the focus is actually on, you know, the group of people coming together and connecting and what other things can we connect over. Yes, it might be having a drink, but it might be doing a number of different activities that we can bring into the workplace. I know, for instance, that one of my friends who owns a recruitment company a lot of their previous events have focused on drinking, but they are starting to hold events at different times of the day. So more breakfast type events where you might do some exercise in the morning and then connect over breakfast rather than alcohol. So I think it's really about taking a new approach to it. And then if you are having alcohol as part of an event, that it isn't just drinking and focused in a pub, that you might have another activity that's involved as part of that so I think it is really about getting out of because often we get so stuck in what we've been doing for a long period of time it's about stepping back and saying how can we do this differently what are the other activities that we can bring in and can we have a discussion about it at leadership level so that we can introduce something new and see how that goes. The other thing is actually about going out to the people who work for you and asking them what they might like to see being brought in, because often you'll get some really interesting and new ideas, particularly if your workplace, and as we've already spoken about, the drinking culture is changing. So a lot of people don't even like to drink at work events these days. There's a, an increasing number of people just say, you know what, that's not a place I choose to drink because I've got a reputation to protect and it's a place where I want to be on the ball.
1: Yeah, and just a quick aside, because I'd be remiss if I didn't point this out, that thinking laterally about the different times of day and the different types of activities to include different people is, I talk to women and others, lots of course, about the environments that women have been traditionally locked out of because of our rigid gender stereotypes. And, you know, let's go to the pub after work and that's where a lot of business gets done and a lot of informal mentoring. Well, you know, there's there's still a lot of women who have those primary caregiving roles i.e running to childcare or getting home blah 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 who have been locked out of those environments and I think if we think laterally about who are all the f- humans in our workplace and how might we cater broadly for a lot of them of course that, that means switching things up that's going to include a lot of those people who may have been locked out and of course there are a lot of people who have cultural beliefs not aligned with drinking in our beautiful multicultural country how many of those people are we locking out as well so a really good call to action there for leaders to create and sustain a workplace that works for all humans invite the humans in to design it with you and also think laterally what are the different ways that we can do stuff now the other questions are what about If I think I've got a person or a group of people where this drinking culture is really embedded and there's a problem, who do I go and talk to? You, obviously, Kath, but what do I do?
0: What do I do here? Well, I think this is a really interesting one because, again, in the workplace, this is something that can just be ignored. It's a personal problem or it doesn't get broached until something quite serious happens. And look, generally the person who you're worried about or who you think might have a problem will know that they have a problem, but they'll probably be very ashamed. So you've got to tackle it very gently. But I think the first thing is really to organise a one-on-one catch up with that person and ask them if they're okay. Let them know that you're a bit worried about them rather than approaching it I think you've got a drinking problem or someone's come to me and said that you it's actually about showing kind caring yeah just being kind and caring and asking some questions of that person first I think often in workplace there'll be I guess this overall kind of attitude that yeah we'll just move you on to someone else but the role of drinking in someone's life, if they've got a problem, it's actually affecting every area of their life. And that as a workplace, if you've got someone that you can refer them to for support, whether it's a psychologist, an alcohol coach, a counsellor, that's really useful, even as a port of call offering to put them in touch with someone. And look, I think if there's a group of people who you can see are excessively drinking in, in your workplace, or they're kind of really creating that group mentality i think definitely there's a real opportunity again to to sit down and i guess not call them out in terms of bad behaviour but start having a conversation about how that could be making other people feel excluded and again educating them around the role of alcohol and how it actually changes the way we approach people we judge our prefrontal cortex gets shut off when we're drinking so Our emotional regulation is out the door. So really we're often behaving in ways that we will regret and we don't have any control over it because of the impact that alcohol has. So, again, even for employees to be educated on, you know, a lot of people don't even know what alcohol does to them. They just think it's this social lubricant that's a bit of fun.
1: Yeah, as you said, it's a drug and and you know leaders we aren't talking about being the fun police and what have you but it is about taking a leadership perspective. You are the custodians of your organizations, you have a leadership responsibility to say how can I achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes for this organization? And if we're introducing or allowing risk to be maintained in the organization, that's a leadership job. But conversely, there's an opportunity cost as well. How much more productive are people who have a really strong sense of self and a good well-being score? Well-beings across a whole gamut of things. And I think part of that is being able to say, hey, my employer really cares about me as an entire human. And they're giving me the opportunity to learn about different things, including how to look after myself, how to learn about the impacts of drugs, alcohol, mental health, so on and so forth on my overall well-being. And I think increasingly workplaces have to be well cognizant of the fact that, yeah, they do have humans, not widgets or robots that they're looking after. And and we do have to create this environment where people have access to information and also the ability to bring their best every single day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting, Michelle. Sometimes I've had clients come to me who have had a drinking issue and it's been affecting their personal life, not so much their their professional life. But what they've noticed when they've changed their drinking, whether they've reduced it or taken it out completely, is the productivity increase at work because their energy is much better because their personal relationships are in a more balanced state. They have been able to really focus on work. So I think this is the the other thing. You don't have to have a drinking problem to reassess your your drinking or change things up to see how it can have a positive influence because, you know, alcohol does impact our quality of sleep. Sleep is such a pillar of health that if you can even increase the quality of your sleep a few days a week, you can imagine the cumulative effect that that's going to have on so many aspects of your life.
1: I'm a living, breathing, walking, talking advocate of eight hours sleep every night. And I can tell you right now, listeners, I sleep extraordinarily well. And I do now notice the nights where I have had a couple of drinks or, or more, because let's face it, I do have more than a few drinks sometimes. I do notice a difference. So I've got a very good litmus test. So, yes, I am a, a big fan of sleep as the enabler of living a very full and fulfilling life. So, good advice there, Kath. Kath, if listeners say, oh, I think she needs to come and talk to our business, how do we find you and what's the best way to do that?
0: Yeah, sure. So you can connect through the website, which is thealcoholmindsetcoach.com, or I've also got an Instagram handle at thealcoholmindsetcoach
1: beautiful and of course we'll have links uh, in the show notes as well or folks you can give me a shout because as I said Kath and I are a little bit joined at the hip at the moment because we're doing some work together so which is very very cool and she's making me think hard about some things and it's (laughs) really good good to be able to do that. Kath thanks so much. I reckon this is a really tricky subject and even at the start I'm thinking ooh do I say it out loud? Yeah I am going to say it out loud. I'm going to own the fact that I want to have and now have a much healthier relationship with alcohol than i've ever had in my adult life so thank you for allowing me to be that vulnerable and thanks for for giving us your wisdom leaders i really want to see Kath and people like Kath in your organizations helping you to create workplaces that work for all humans whether they drink or not or just want to have a little bit or whatever it may be so Kath elliott the alcohol mindset coach thank you so much
0: thank you michelle I have loved our conversation and your support. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtoSore.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar.